You're listening to a Wheeler Centre podcast. This activism that you're asking about, it comes from the fact that it was not only fighting militarily, it was telling the reason why we have to fight. In opening, I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. I pay respects to Elders past and present, and I commit to supporting First Nations health and well-being through my work, my words and my actions. This auspicious occasion is hosted in partnership by the Wheeler Centre and Igniting Change, it is part of the Wheeler Centre World of Words series, which is supported by the Melbourne City Revitalisation Fund. I extend thanks to you uh, for being here to share in this moment with us. Uh, with advance notice that there will be an opportunity for you to ask questions towards the end of our conversation. It is with great joy that I introduce our esteemed guest for this evening, Mrs Grassa Michelle a world-leading humanitarian and political activist whose commitment and distinguished achievements are testament to her tenacity and intellect in the pursuit of justice and equity. Over the course of the next hour, um, we hope to learn from your extremely purposeful life, um, ranging from your experiences as the first Minister of Education and Culture uh, your experiences in leading groundbreaking change in women and children's rights, and also the work that you are currently engaged in with the Grassa Michelle Trust. Um, in doing so, we will cover a lot of ground, the realm of politics, power, strategy, leadership, advocacy, and ultimately success. On that note, thank you so much for being here, and I welcome you. I also acknowledge with deep respect the honours of the land on which we are holding this event, and uh, I honour them. I bring my ancestors as well to connect with them and build the bridges which go beyond the miles and miles which... Uh, Eventually, they separate us, but we come together in celebration of what they have given us as legacy, which we have the obligation to develop it and to, do, to offer it to the young generations. And I'm really very honored that I'm given this opportunity to be with our ancestors and with you all tonight. Now, on that note, you can judge by this sold-out venue here that um, people are obviously delighted that you have been able to come here to be with us. Um, and I wanted to understand how and why have you come to be in Australia now? Thanks to igniting change, I have really to acknowledge the role, the organization that uh, particularly Jane played to, let me say, to convince me. <laughs> 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 she has been suggesting, you must come, you must come. And I would say, yes, 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 I'll come. But I think um, the time perhaps has not been the right one for me. So it is, yes, because of uh, Ignite Change and particularly the deep friendship I share with Jane, but I think also there's some kind of uh, power in the universe which told me it's time to go. 
and I'm here. <laughs> now, it was quite a challenge to decide where to begin, given your achievements and what you, on the work you continue to do. But if we move back in time, you were first minister for education and culture in Mozambique at the age of 29, a mother at 30, before that, able to fire an AK-47 as a teenager. And of course, the work that you did alongside um, Archbishop Tutu, Samora Michelle and Nelson Mandela in the liberation movement. So that we can understand your journey um, into and through activism, could you take us back to the beginning, even to your childhood and how you became the, the leader that you have become and the woman that we see today? You know, um, perhaps I'll skip the childhood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, say it was the time, the historic time in which I grew up, which uh, molded me and uh, nurtured me. In a way, yes. There was freedom to fight for. All, all of us, in different ways, we had to fight for our freedom, just for the right to be ourselves, for our identity, our dignity, for you to say, I'm Mozambican, and your parents to say, I'm Zimbabwean, I'm not a Rhodesian, and I was not... Portuguese East Africa. So we had to fight. It's not like it was an extraordinary thing, but in the history at that moment required all of us to be engaged in one way or the other. And because uh, uh, I was fortunate then, really, to be military trained, I learned on a daily basis the importance of having someone we had never met before. But you know, he or she is Mozambican. We share the same destiny. We share the same, you know, favor for, for freedom. And the concept of what a nation is, it, it emerges because you know, she can die, I can die but we are all aiming at the same objective. So this, this activism which you're asking about, it comes from the fact that it was not only fighting militarily, it was telling the reason why we have to fight. And you tell it many times to different people, different audiences, and of course this thing which is called, I mean, mobilization, social mobilization, it comes naturally. Then you mentioned that I became Minister of Education at the age of 29. Yes, it is true, because uh, in Mozambique at the time of our freedom, 93% of our people were illiterate. So I was like, uh, this, uh, this saying which, uh, which tells you that uh, in the land of the blind, when you have one eye, you are a queen. So I had one eye. <laughs> and I was then compelled, you know, by history again, to, to become Minister of Education. And the people I met you, met, you referred to some of the people. As I reflect, you know, uh, in retrospective, I think perhaps... Destiny guided me to meet those people, to learn from them, to enrich the personality and uh, to make me the human being then who, you know, today I say, I never think of uh, my children and grandchildren as my family. Now the nation is my family. And then I learned, well, it's not only about Mozambique. It's not only about South Africa. 
I have too many families across the globe. And just to tell you, I'm here for the last three days. I came this morning from Al Springs and uh, I came back with a beautiful family whom I can even name. I have a mother, I have sisters, but I have also the big family of the First Nations who live there. So it's not my special merit. It's the way life has guided me to navigate in those spaces. I'm simply grateful. You've spoken there around the, the value and the merit of allowing people to have a, a platform to be heard. And central to your work has been your contribution in amplifying the voices of women in particular. How has that come to be you know, central to the work that you do? When I was in the, in the Ministry of Education, I realised that girls particularly, girls, were not performing the, the same way boys were performing. And I had to understand why. So it took me now to really become intentional in understanding our society. And um, I learned, and until today, I value extremely the position and uh, the place women are in our society. I'm not, you, you realize I didn't say the role. I said the place in which they are. And uh, through the eyes of what I want to understand with our children in schools, I came to learn and understand better that, you know, women are a huge power. But it, you, you, you have to look for them. <laughs> for them in our villages, in our village. You have to look for them to, to, to stand up and speak, you know. I was also educated by two powerful women, my mother and my grandmother, three. My mother and my grandmother and my elder sister. So I went back also to relate to my own childhood and the, 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 the way women had brought me up. So along my process, I was involved in uh, promoting women in politics and uh, women in education to be in leadership positions, etc. But uh, it has been, you know, even today, perhaps even in this kind of society where many times we say developed countries, right? Hmm. Look at uh, how many women are in parliament. Huh? With all these very developed democratic principles and institutions, etc., etc. But it's hard for a woman to be in a position of power, right? And uh, if I take you to the economy, it's even worse. So you and go to education, for instance. I mean, lots of uh, those who are in education are women, in health are women. But look for them in positions of leadership and power. There are still a few. So it is just a question of logic to say, why women being so powerful, and in many aspects, they are highly educated. They have expertise. They have experience. Why they are denied, I mean, the right? Now I'll use the language of our organization. We say, sitting, you know, at the center stage and at the driving seat. It's not only to be at the table, we don't talk anymore in our organization in sitting at the table. No. Our women, they told me that we have to redesign the table because this table was designed by somebody else and we have to redesign together with those who have excluded us. We redesign, but we have to be at the center stage. 
And not only at the center stage, but we have to be a driving seat. So this is what uh, keeps me alive every morning. <laughs> Take note. <laughs> <laughs> So there is a message there around empowerment of women, which has become, and children also, which has become central to the work that you do with the Grasa Michelle Trust. Can you speak to us about what, 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 what is the work that you are doing and how does that help to address and some of those challenges and also to empower women or build a, new, a better table? Let me tell you, darling, that uh, at Grasa Michelle Trust, we don't like talking of empowerment. You know why? It's as if uh, someone will empower women. Women have the power already. They do have it. What we are looking at and what we are working to is to advance women from where they are, with power they are, to be advanced and reach that level in which they are at center stage and at driving seat. But it's advancement of women. When you say empowerment, it looks like you are giving them power. No, 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 no. They do. They do have it. They are powerful already. That's how I started my, my conversation with you. But you're asking, what are we doing? Because I was involved in, uh, for many decades, in really trying to see how we get women into political positions, and there are now, in my continent, lots of organizations who, who, which are still working on that. But I realized at a certain point that in the economy, no one is really focusing on that uh, space. And while in politics, we even have, your mom will tell you, but it, we, we had a time we were saying we want a third of, uh, of uh, parliamentarians to be, to be women. So you see, at least there's a strategy. It's a, a third. Mm. And now we are saying it's half. But if you go to the economy, we don't even have a strategy. Everybody will tell you, oh, most of uh, women, I mean, most of enterprises, small and medium enterprise are owned by women. And you say, what does it mean majority? No one knows what majority means. And uh, when you say small and medium, but how many are medium, how many are small? There's no even data, data. All we talk about are estimates, but it is no proper data. So I said, no, 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 no. Let's, let's try to focus on this sector, and on this, not sector, I mean, in this space of economy. And this is what the Grassa Michelle Trust is trying to do. And um, we have networks which are country-based. And uh, within these networks, we bring sectoral networks. So, so you, you could call it perhaps federations at a, at a national level. We have women who are in agribusiness, women who are in entrepreneurship of diversity in diverse, diverse industries. We have what we established for the first time, a network of women in finance. How do you transform financial system to recognize that women are good clients, <laughs> and women have a right to have these financial resources. So we work, with, we prepare the women so that their business will be what you would call bankable, right? But at the same time, we are opening the eyes of the financial system to say, it's not enough that you are profitable. You have to ask, how many of my clients are women? If they are not there, you should ask yourself, why? And if you don't know, then we'll bring our networks to work with you. They will tell you exactly why. And also, we want the, the financial system to promote women to levels of uh, leadership. If you look at ex-cos, many times you don't find women. CEOs, very few. Boards, very few. And we say... While the decisions are made just by part of our population and 52% are not part of making decisions, 
on the economy, our economies are not going to thrive because we are marginalizing the... So we work on the economy. But one of the rights, the, it's, a, it's a pity that we don't have time. The young lady who is leading that program is here with us. We introduce the concept that, yeah, we have to move. We have to work with move, women to move from the small to medium and from the medium to big, intentionally. So we take, now it's thousands of women together to work on training of a, quite a diversity of aspects, but they have to be ready to pitch and to get money for, for capital. They have to be ready to market their produce. They have to be ready to trade. But the international trade, we are not talking of a trade of cross-border. <laughs> not that it's not important, but because we want really to be from the so-called miss, missing middle, we take them to the higher level. We believe that's our contribution. So this is what the Grassa Michel Trust tries to do. We have also a network of uh, women in media because we, we, we have to tell the story on our own behalf, not anyone tells it for us. But particularly because if I ask many people who are in this audience, all they know of Africa is women who are refugees, women who are dying of AIDS, women who, you know, all this is true. But there's a much bigger picture of who are the women in, in our continent. So we want really the stories, women's stories, to be told by women themselves. And in all this, we have a big command, which is say, multiplying faces and amplifying voices of women. So they have to be in thousands, faces, be seen, and be valued. Huh? And we also want them to speak and speak loud so that no one will dare to ignore them. If they speak in collective, that's why we organize them in sectors. It's not noise. No, no, no. They speak substance. So they, they will be able to say what they are doing in agribusiness, in finances, in the diversity of entrepreneurship, etc., etc. So they talk substance, with the, even with the specifics. And uh, we hope that we will be transforming institutions and we will be transforming systems and with all that to transform also the mindset of people so that people will stop thinking of women as small, thinking and undervalue women. They have to accept that we, we are not half human beings. We are absolutely a whole and we have the same ability to shape our nations, to shape our future, shoulder to shoulder. And this is what the trust is trying to do so that in the midst of all this, we promote women's leadership. I was too long, sorry. <laughs> Everybody was enthralled, so it's fine. Um, what I've heard there is the strategy around also developing metrics and quantifiables behind a goal and achievement, and that comes across very clearly in, in, in how you position and how you also share things around the financial gap, for example, in funding, $43 billion gap in financing for women across the continent. And the fact that you've made a commitment to advancement across different spaces, so social media, youth training as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of that speaks to your ability to command networks and to bring the right people together towards a unified purpose. I wondered if you could share your approach for how you pull partnerships together and how you decide who can work together functionally in order to start to see that vision of this is what we're going to try and achieve rather than 
come together, do something? How, how do you <laughs> pull that together? Well, we, we have, uh, we have uh, lots of, uh, of partners whom we, we carefully, I mean, select because we have to be sharing the same values. Mm. We might be doing different things, but we, we share the same values. And uh, the, the being the, the fundamental issue is really to respect women. You, you, you have to respect the identity, the dignity, and et cetera, et cetera. So. And um, we have partners who are, even in government, you'll be surprised because for us civil society organizations, it doesn't mean you don't work with government. We do, particularly those departments which we believe by definition, they should be focusing on women. So we focus on them to try to transform them in a way they can't think of performing their obligations, their mandate without us and taking us, I mean, seriously. But we have a private sector. In private sector, we have lots of partners as well. We have foundations, different foundations, both on the continent and uh, abroad. And uh, we have uh, some academic institutions because we need to generate knowledge. We need to understand better the dynamics, even one of the economy, but sometimes even of social dynamics for us to understand how to, to do our work. So it depends. And of course, within civil society organizations, we do what we do, but we understand that we need others. When I tell you about, for instance, um, leadership program. Some of the leadership programs we, 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 we engage our networks are developed by other civil society organizations. So we, 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 we partner together. And um, what is fundamental for us is that we really never do our work without collectives. Because we believe that if we are to effect social transformation, you have to do it, uh, as we call it, in waves. And you have to be many of you to shake institutions, to, 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 to shake and transform the status quo. You, have, you need the power of the collective. That's why, although we recognize that it's good to have one, two good women entrepreneurs, but for us, the measure of success will be we, don't, we started by hundreds because we had to learn, I mean, the game of how to train. We, we started by hundreds, but now we are in the thousands. Just to give you an example, our program now is 5,000 women, 10,000, I'm sorry, 10,000 women who have to generate at least $1 billion and provide 1 million jobs. So these girls, as I call them, they say, girls, it's not about you only, huh? It's not about you only. So they are a community which works together, although they are in different sectors, but they go through the same training. And they have to strive and to manage that they grow their business. And they are metrics which we are talking about. Yes, they are already established these metrics. So that they, we have to be able not only to do the coaching and uh, the mentoring, etc., but also to trace. So that in five years, because I'm talking about this in five years, in five years we have to, to be able to say, did they really produce $1 billion or was it more, hopefully? Mm. But it, we, don't, uh, we don't put in our mind that it has to be less. It has to be at least $1 billion. And it, we need to know how many people they have employed. Sometimes employment, it doesn't mean to this, this job in which you pay. Yeah, but they have to reach out to other women or other people, young people, and to make sure that there's a rippling effect of what they're doing to put food on the table of other people. They contribute for that. So it is, in one sense, it's about women, 
but it's about harnessing the, the power they have, as they do in our families. You see? Now they do it in a much open space of society. It's exactly that what we, we, we want to do. So it's about them, they transform themselves and to dream big. Yeah, I used to say at the beginning, it's, uh, 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 I don't want you to be small. You have to be big. So for us to discuss and say one billion dollars, it shakes your, your mind to say, will, will we be able? And yes, they believe they will. Now they are at the stage, they believe they will. But I'm trying to give you a sense of, yeah, but it's more of a social kind, social movement, mm. which we are trying to, 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 to build, which, yes, it's, Focusing on economy, it is women, but we hope it will contribute also for us as Africans mm. to assert that we are not bound to be poor all the time. No, 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 no. We have the resources and we have the, you know, so we have to think big and challenge ourselves because that is what is going to take our continent to stop being I, will, I won't say what I wanted to say. Okay. <laughs> so there we've spoken of shared values, mm -hmm. common goals, mm -hmm. and I think sitting behind that is also some common challenges that we have globally, for example, the climate crisis. And I've heard you speak about you know, how you manage those competing interests, if you can call them that, and I'm interested in your insights around how your, your work will evolve in the context of having to manage that as well, so climate change and your insights on <clears throat> the interplay between your work and that common challenge? Some of our networks are those who are much more close to... Um, in, a, in, a, in a solid way. I mean, to, to be part of uh, the solutions on the climate crisis. Um, so how do we do this? I'll, I'll mention two of the networks. It's the agribusiness and energy, mm. yeah, which we just launched recently, a network on energy. This one, it's not only to incorporate elements of, uh, while others will talk of mitigation, la da da well, we need to build resilience. And we need also to be conscious in whatever we do to adopt those methods which are not contributing, in one sense, to emission of carbon, but at the same time, they, we are able to prevent and to be able to, to be resilient against, I mean, what is the impact of, uh, of, of climate change. So uh, our two networks now we are aiming because also we are ambitious. You know, there will be in September, there will be in Nairobi, what they call climate action summit. I think this is how they call it. It's to build the position of Africa in preparation of the uh, summit, which will take place in November. In, in, in Dubai. So again, we are preparing to say, we have to be part of that debate in African context and as Gresham Michelle networks. And we will be in Dubai as part of the voice of women, African women with other women, not us alone. But we want to be part of this Debates, we need to be part of the learning. We need to be part of uh, how we innovate and the way we do things. And we are part of solutions. But also, we have to be the voice, a collective voice of saying what some people have been doing for decades and they were not listening. Mm? We are here. We are not going to continue to accept that you continue the way you do. So please remember that this planet belongs to us as well. And we will be able then to bring in the experience of African women in how do we protect our planet. 
You know, I was so humbled. I don't think there are many people who have gone through this experience. I was so humbled when I was at Alice Springs these two days when I was there. Those, the First Nations, oh, they are highly, highly grounded. And they respect, I mean, the, 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 the land for them, the land is not only what, what sustained them, it, it, is, it is, I don't know, there's so much of connection with the land and the protection of everything and knowledge of what this tree means and these leaves can be, this small insect. I was blown away, blown away. We really have to learn of how do we go back to those moments in which between us as human and nature, there is just, I mean, we sustain one another and life is sustained together. And these lessons for us and being women who are making most of the decisions of uh, the lifestyle in our families, we have a... A, a, a huge role, really, to contribute on this. So we, we, are, we are still in the learning process. I'm not going to tell you that we know how to do it, but we are open to learn. And that's why we want to be part of the debate, but we want to be part of the solution. At the same time, we want to be the voice, a collective voice, so that no one will make decisions about how we deal with the crisis. The solution to the crisis has to take into account also the ideas, the aspirations, the experiences of African women. Mm. I think within that as well, that understanding and that what you've spoken about of that shared learning and the passing down of knowledge through a culture, I wanted to ask you about the work that you do with the elders. Um, because in mm. my Zimbabwean culture, the elders are where we learn mm -hmm. and where we learn to be responsible. Thank mm. you. My mother's here. Mm. <laughs> um, what does that work mean to you and why does that continue to be important to you, the, the work that you did in co-founding the elders and what you're continuing to do now? What does that mean to you now? In fact, uh, the, the idea of uh, founding the elders was Madiba's. But it, perhaps here we had a, a good example of a partnership. So I was, uh, I was part of uh, really with him. That's why sometimes they call me co-founder or whatever. But he founded, he founded the others. And, but from the onset, I was involved in, uh, I mean, crafting it in a way we could meet what he, it was his, uh, his, his dream and his vision. Now, you are asking about the elders and the role the elders as a global group and being so small, uh, what, what, do, what do they do? The elders are a, a, a group of people who are retired, so they, are not, uh, they do not have invested interest in any institution. They are totally independent. They can speak their mind, I mean, as they, they feel it uh, right. And uh, so we have been learning to, to be beyond uh, the, 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 <laughs> the, the space of uh, managing, I mean, issues, because uh, uh, these governments are supposed to be doing that, right? So we just adopted our new uh, strategy. And we realized that there are really serious crises. And some people are talking of polycrisis now, which are existential in the sense that they threaten the very existence of human family, of human race. But it, we take it as if we could, uh, we could live with it. Take the, 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 what are the threats, for instance? So we are working on, in fact, there they were three, now there are four. 
threats to the threats to the existence of human race. It is one is the nuclear threat. And uh, with the war in Ukraine, it became very clear that uh, it can, uh, in an act of irresponsibility, it can blow up and we are all gone. Two, climate. We are now in COP28. We have been talking about these things all the time. But it looks like, I mean, certain people... They don't realize that we are really at the verge of uh, eliminating ourselves as a human race. It's a one threat. The third threat, which we have been talking about also, is uh, pandemics. We were found unprepared for COVID. And it looks like now we, we take a breath and we say, now it's over. Yes, COVID is over, but we might, we have to accept that we might have another pandemic. So the world has to be prepared. So it is about preparedness against pandemics, taking the lessons of COVID, learning also of the science which has taught us, and to be as we are, for instance, with the case of uh, nuclear threat, there are mechanisms to, to control it. And we don't have much mechanisms as we speak of if a pandemic erupts in any moment, what do we do? So we can't say we didn't know, like with COVID. We need to uh, raise the, 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 the awareness for us to be prepared. But while we're discussing this now, there is the AI issue, which has a huge potential I mean, to save human, human life. But it can be also a huge threat. And I must say that this is a new issue, which we only discussed and were adopted now. A week ago, we were meeting in Seoul. And uh, we still need to, to get much more knowledge of, uh, in which we can clearly say, these are the benefits, but these are the risks and to alert all of us on the risks so that, one, as we speak, there's no regulation of any kind. Countries try to do their own regulations, but there is no a framework around which all of us, we can rally around to say, as we have, for instance, for climate, as we have for nuclear uh, threat, we, we don't have it. So there are two things in which we have to be prepared. It's pandemic and it's AI. The, the elders feel that they have the moral ground, I mean, to knock at the door of everybody, whether it's nations around the United Nations, whether it is the European Union, the regional bodies which exist everywhere. We have also science being developed everywhere. But we need to come to a space where we all know what is right to do and what we shouldn't take that, that line as we did with the, with the climate, for instance. So now there are four. But when we developed the strategy, there were three. So these are the threats. So if you ask me what the elders are doing now, now, as we are here, yes, we are seriously working on alerting all of us against these existential threats. We are addressing not only statements. No, we, we, we address specific bodies which have to take responsibility not only of regulating, but also to create mechanisms of accountability. Accountability. So, because we, we are here, we are old, but we still have uh, some kind of energy, <laughs> we'll be knocking at, uh, I don't know, how many doors. And of those, particularly those who are the most powerful, and some of them are sitting, and they're known as... Uh, P5, huh? 
Yes, they have to remember. Yes, they are P5, but <laughs> as human, they are equal to my grandmother at the village. As human, <laughs> and that's 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 where we are. It's what the elders at the moment are doing. This will be my last question before we open um, for questions from the audience. Um, you have opened many doors and continue to do so. What advice would you have for somebody who hopes or aspires to be a force for change? I don't think I have advice for that. <laughs> I don't think I have advice for that. Because, I mean, I think... One thing, you are in your field. You have training, you have expertise, and you have space in which you exercise your professional life. But it is within that space where your leadership qualities will reveal themselves. And when they reveal themselves, your collective, those also who are partners, you raised this, or not only those who are your colleagues, the communities you serve and the partners you work with, they will recognize in you that this is a leader. I am against this thing of uh, organizing courses where you say, oh, we are now organizing, we are training leaders. A, a leader can, can be provided with some tools, but in the essence of leadership, it comes from within. It's not anything because I take you to a course of six months, you will come out and after six months you are a leader because it has to come from the way you position yourself and the way you work with others. And it's, it's the others who recognize in you leadership qualities. So to advise, the only thing I can say is that uh, be humble. Just, just do, do, do what you know you have to do. But at the same time, listen to your instincts. And your instincts will tell you, what is the right thing to do in certain moments and what you should not do so that you are grounded in a space where you can have self-confidence, right? And keep doing your, 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 your work. And then the rest, others will tell you and others will, will elevate you to a certain space. So I don't know how to advise you this. I just would like to say, you know, baby girl, you are, you, are, you, are, you are brilliant, you're doing excellent job. As long as you, you really try to do your work the best you can. Perhaps the other thing I could add, it's not advice, it's to tell you uh, at least how it works on me, is that you have to be doing your work in a way every day when you go to bed, you look at yourself and you feel, I did the best I could. Sometimes you have not done so well, but it, this is the best you could do. So you didn't, you didn't keep your energy and your, your commitment, you didn't hold it back, you gave it all. But sometimes, because you are human, it will not come as well as you had wanted. And you'll say, okay, this time it didn't come right, but I did the best I could. You'll be always confident that you didn't fail in your duties, okay? Now, you will also, when you are not doing so well, you'll have to ask, why I didn't so well this time? And then you learn from that so that next step you'll do better because you took lessons from, you see what I mean? At least I'm just sharing with you what, uh, what, uh, what it has been some, some kind of guiding principles of the way I do. But I will tell you, I have this age 
Whenever I have to speak like this, I take time to prepare myself. And sometimes I have a fire in my belly because I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure whether what I'm going to be sharing because it's not I'm saying. What I'm, I'm here doing, I'm sharing. You have to feel, but what I'm going to be sharing, is it going to be relevant to people so that they don't waste one hour sitting here listening to the two of us and they don't take anything, I mean, away with them? So you need always to be conscious of the responsibility of taking a platform. A platform, it's not a space you take it light in any circumstance. And sometimes people just say, oh, you have done this before. No. <laughs> I have not been speaking to the same people. It's different people. Because of that, I might be talking about certain issues which are my work experience. But I'm talking to new people here. I'm not talking to the women I work with every day. So it's a huge responsibility when... The two of us, we sit here and we have this conversation. It has to make sense for them. And it has to be somehow something which is relevant. So it comes now for this uh, every time. Take responsibility. Always do it with responsibility. So this is not an advice. It's just uh, sharing with you what... Uh, many times has been my guiding principles of doing the work. And that's why I cringe sometimes when they say, oh, no, because you are this and that. I said, are you sure? Because sometimes people are not sure. They just tell you because they want you to, be, to feel like you are important. Question, because sometimes there can be fueling in you a sense of importance which you, it's not really, you are not as important as they say. You have to be careful also with what you hear and check it with yourself. Only when it sits with you and you feel, okay, it sounds like, yeah. But there are many times where what I hear about myself, it doesn't sit with me. It doesn't. So it's, it's this kind of uh, you as a young woman who is thriving, and I, I can see in your eyes, we just met this evening, but I can see in your, in your eyes you have a long way to go, and you really are in a position of growing and become that generation of women who are going to take... I'm your grandmother, okay? <laughs> you are going to take from me... Yes. I'm sure your mom is younger than me. So <laughs> you, I'm a grandmother to you. And you, 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 you really have to be very grounded, very humble, but always open to learn and to be curious to learn and always also to take very seriously what you do and to feel, I do the best I can. And even when they fuel you with ideas, or, you know, Kuzai, you are brilliant. Yeah, ask yourself, am I really? And you compare yourself with others so that you are not going to make too many mistakes in the steps you do. I ended up giving you some advice. <laughs> yeah. I am... Not sure if we maybe have one question because we are at time and one lucky person has an opportunity for a question. Yes, please, I can see one hand up. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you very much for sharing your experiences. During my professional life, I had the unique opportunity of working both in Mozambique as well as in South Africa. With your permission, I want to take you a little bit out of your trust I think you had the lived experience of going through reconciliation, truth-telling, and the issues associated with that one. In this country, today, we are struggling through the same process, voice, reconciliation, truth-telling. 
based on your lessons you have learned, there's anything that you can leave it with us so that we can manage that process in a very meaningful way. Thank you. Hmm. I wish we could have time because this, this is an issue I'm, I'm quite comfortable to, to share the experience of, uh, of South Africa. The, the first point, I think, for reconciliation. One, it's acceptance. Acceptance, particularly from those who have... Uh, committed crimes to accept and uh, cross the bridge of denial, to accept that, yes, they have committed crime, but to accept genuinely in an authentic way. It's not to say it, it's to accept. And to be open then to unravel, because you need to unravel the issues which uh, historically, you know, have driven to the type of crimes which were, were committed. And acceptance also from the, the side of those who represent the victims. They have to accept that, yes, they also have to cross the bridge to embrace the other, the other side. And I'm saying this because this is what happened in South Africa. The, 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 the liberation movement always, from the onset, was saying it's South Africa belongs to all South Africans and those who live in it. So the recognition that South Africa belongs to all people of all races, of all ethnic groups, of all st st social, you know, status. It has been there from the onset, and that's why in liberation movement, there were people of every ethnic group, even of every race, okay? So that understanding, it was there from the beginning. But it doesn't mean that the ANC was ready for reconciliation. It had, uh, the philosophy was there, and even in terms of the composition of uh, the liberation uh, uh, movement, it was that mix. But when the moment came, the liberation movement also had to accept that it needed really to reach out to the other side. So I will insist acceptance you accept that historically there are people who committed crimes. As we say now when we, believe, we, we, we begin our meetings here, we acknowledge and we respect, you know, the owners of the land. Oh, you know, you know better than I do. It's a recognition. But you have to say it with... Uh, with the, with the conscience of what you are saying. And then you have to say, if you say you re acknowledge and you respect, it means you have to be prepared to unravel which, what has made that uh, some owners of the land today, they are no longer owners of the land. You see what I'm trying to say? Is it, is it making sense? But it also, those who have been victims, they have to be prepared to accept that. To say, this is the time to embrace one another. For the sake of a common future, a common destiny, we have to accept another, one another. And then go the journey, one of unraveling all these issues, accepting to look eye to eye, and the, because you say you uh, followed the South African uh, example, that's why it was not only important that the clerk recognized the liberation movement, he also allowed the uh, liberation movement to the, those who were in exile to come back. Then they had to sit face to face 
and talk. Sometimes very hard conversation. But to say, why do we want now to confront our past so that we'll build a present and a future which is different? And that was the example of Codessa, as you say, you have followed. Codessa, it was not only um, the National Party and the, the liberation movement. It was also different forces within society. You will, you will remember if you, you, are, you are old enough, because sometimes it's young people when very, very young. But they were sitting around that table. Even the generals who had been the instrument of, I wouldn't say of, 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 of they had been instruments of crime killing. The generals had to sit around the table. They were invited to discuss because if you take the politicians alone and you don't bring those sectors of society who were involved, then you are not going to have a proper reconciliation. So I'm going to be short now. It's to say that acceptance and to create a space in which we sit face to face. It's not one-sided exercise. No. It takes the leadership and the leadership has to bring all forces of society to become part of the discussion of what has been, what, what we did wrong as a nation. We acknowledge this. And that's when it comes never again. If we are together, then we'll say never again. And those of you who know, that was the speech of Mandela the day he, 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 is, uh, he is inaugurated as president. Never again. And then when you say never again, you have to create the mechanism now of reconciliation. That's why South Africa went into the truth and reconciliation. So that it's not only the reconciliation, the political reconciliation. You need to give an opportunity to those who have been aggrieved directly to recognize their pain, to recognize their loss, and that's why the reconciliation process brought perpetrators and families of the victims, because most of the victims, they were no longer alive, okay? So their families, in representation of the victims, they had to sit and listen. When I say, yes, I acknowledge, I did this on day X in, in, in a specific place, this is what, so I was part of those, you know, who killed the Goniwe group, for instance, and how they did it. And even they mentioned who had given the instructions to do. Because most of them, they had been only instruments, you know. There were those who, so in that moment when they talk, those who are perpetrators, they recognize publicly, publicly, and then the victims are sitting there. That's when you had the moving, moving experience in which representatives of victims and, and, and perpetrators, they embraced. And to, for you to hear a mother whose children have been killed and to look in, into the eyes of the perpetrators, I forgive you. That's a reconciliation. So, the experience of South Africa, it, it, it has some, some flaws. There are aspects which didn't go so well. But in, in, in the way it was structured, I think it serves as a, as, a, as a reference. There's no models. Each society will find its own model. But it, it, it offers a reference which can be useful, you know. Many African countries are trying also to have truth and reconciliation processes, because this issue of a disposition of land and crimes also, I mean, are general on the continent. And here, I do not know, I have to be honest, I do not know enough about what is going, going on here. I, I've been here only for three, four days. But I gave the example of South Africa to just to, uh, 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 to underscore the importance of acceptance. You have to accept, accept that crimes have, crimes have been committed and 
I am, this government which is here now, perhaps it's not them who did these things, but that's why we said the past, you know? Yeah, but that acceptance is important. And the First Nations and the other groups in society who are from the side of the victims, they also have to accept that they want to reach out to the other side and sit together and outline clearly what are the things which went wrong and how do we deal with them so that they don't happen again and to have them the never again together and then have the next, the next step. That's the experience of South Africa. Mama Grasa. We were not, we were not supposed Thank to be you. talking of reconciliation. Yes, but he did. <laughs> he did drag us to that. It's okay. Mama it's okay. Grasa, thank you so much. We wish we could do this again every week. Um, we, we accept your excellence um, and you've given us so many references and so many frameworks with which to continue our collective work. Thank you again and I invite everyone to please. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much. But I, I really have to say, I have to say thank you again. Thank you to Igniting Change. Without them, I wouldn't be here. And, uh, and I say thank you not only for, for bringing me here, but more importantly, because of the the experience I have gone through during the days I went to Alice Springs. Being there, it humbled me like I can't describe. I'm taking lessons which uh, I hadn't come across with, perhaps theoretically, but in practice, those lessons I have learned, I still have to process them. I haven't yet. I know, one thing I know is that uh, the grasser who was in Melbourne before I went to Al Springs and the, the grasser who came back from Al Springs is a different one. And this I will have to thank you so much. Jane, with your team. Thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good evening. Good evening. You've been listening to Dr. Kudzai Kanutu in conversation with Dame Grassa Michelle, recorded at the Wheeler Centre on Tuesday, the 6th of June, 2023, as part of the World of Words series and presented in partnership with Igniting Change. The event was supported by the Melbourne City Revitalisation Fund, a Victorian government and City of Melbourne partnership. The Wheeler Centre podcast is produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. You can listen to more podcasts or explore videos, news and our full calendar of events at wheelercentre.com.